You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, grab one. Turn to James chapter 5. Yes, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. We're going to continue in the book of James where we have started uh, our series called Our Faith in Action. And if you're a guest today, we normally walk through books of the Bible because we want to see what God has to say uh, and not what I have to say. And if uh, you uh, don't have a Bible, you can grab one in front of you. They're the hardback Bibles in the pews, and you can turn to page 1073. I was in a conversation this week just talking about uh, the growth of our area and uh, what's going on, and uh, we, we got on the topic of storage units. Storage units. Do you think we have enough of those uh, in Youngsville, Wake Forest, and Raleigh? What do y'all think? Do you think we have enough storage units. Well, the conversation uh, that I was in, they were talking about a friend who uh, was like, hey, or maybe it was a post uh, on Facebook, hey, are there any storage units available? And you're like, there has to be a storage unit available because there's a ton of them. Uh, but actually, uh, most of the storage units, uh, from what we're, we're hearing, are actually full. And there are even ones that are being reserved that haven't been built yet are full. And so outside of, you know, like Dunkin' Donuts and mattress firms, we have plenty of storage units, right? So plenty of storage places. But what does that say about where we are as a society, particularly here in uh, the RDU area? What does that say about us? That question uh, began to, to kind of press on my heart. And I think if I'm really honest with you, we have a bunch of junk that stays in storage units. Now, some people may use them as, you know, their garage or different things like that to keep some, some tools or, you know, maybe something, you know, similar. But at the end of the day, what do people put in storage units? Things that they don't, they're not using, right? So at some level, if we look around, the storage units may actually be a testimony of our current societal focus where we think we place things and where our value is at. I wonder, in those storage units, are there things that could be given to those who are in need? Could they be given to those who are poor? Could they be given to friends and family and fellow students and fellow co-workers? As we come to James chapter 5 this morning, we hear a text that we need, and I think speaks directly to us. And so as we walk through the text this morning, here's what I think is the truth. This is where I think James is driving. James warns his readers of the dangers of wealth so that believers may be encouraged to trust God. And if you're a disciple today, we as a church talk about making mature disciples. And our money is a part of that maturity. So this is what we need to know today. Faithful disciples trust God over wealth to avoid the dangers of wealth and use it wisely. Today is one of those texts, and it's one of those that if we didn't preach through books of the Bible, it would probably be pretty easy for us to just 
skip right over. Uh, we'll just, we don't need that one in the series. It's kind of gloomy. And um, maybe we'll step on our toes, as old preachers of the day might would say. But we need this. Don't we? We need this honest warning in our own lives, especially for, the, for, for all of us who live in this country who has many opportunities, even blessings, kindness from the Lord. We need this warning. All right, and I've shared this illustration with you before. Remember, when Jesus takes residence up in your heart, he's there to do a renovation. What happens when you begin to renovate old homes? You begin to find that not, no, the walls don't just need painting. You need new plumbing. Not only do you need new plumbing, you need new electrical. And so what Jesus does when he begins to, not, and he begins to paint, he said, oh, wait a second, got to take this wall out. Wait a second, I need to remove the plumbing. And so Jesus starts banging on the arteries of your heart, and he begins to say, I need to take all of this away, and I need to rebuild something that's better. Renovations aren't easy. They're hard. They can be painful. And there's sweat and tears and maybe even blood associated with renovations. That's what Jesus is doing to our hearts. We need this. We need the Lord to speak to us and us to hear it. And in no way soften what the Lord is saying today. But instead, evaluate our own hearts and our own lives against what God's Word says. And may we be encouraged today to not, to not just talk about money, but to talk about a trust and a God who is in control and has every resource at His disposal. So as we walk through our text this morning, here's what I want to do. As we walk through chapter 5, I want to provide three implications Three implications for us this morning. So, number one, first implication. Wealth in this life will waste away. So invest it wisely. Invest it wisely. Look at verse one. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. James doesn't hold back. Like a prophet pronouncing doom and he condemns the rich and calls their calls them to mourning because of what is coming to them. We need to understand that uh, these rich here are non-believers. Okay, this is, is a little bit of a transition. And there's some conversation about are these believers or not. I believe that these are non-believers. Here's why. He presents judgment that's coming and doesn't call them to repent. Right? He doesn't say this is coming to you, so repent before the Lord. No, he says this is what's happening to you. And so I do think that this, these rich are unbelievers. And it can be difficult to make the adjustment as James has been writing to us as brothers and sisters the entire time. So why does James shift here? Why does he write to unbelievers? I think John Calvin, a theologian in the Reformation, he provided a really good insight. I think it's really helpful for us. James has a regard to the faithful that they... Hearing of the miserable end of the rich might not envy their fortune. And also that knowing that God would be the avenger of the wrongs they suffered, that they might with a calm and resigned mind bear them. Disciples are able to display faith 
in times of hardships when others indulge. All right, so James, when we think about our faith in action, James is saying, how do we do that in times of need? And how do we do that when we watch others who are like, why do they get to have all that they want and more? A disciple's faith is not concerned with the actions and circumstances of others, but is focused on the gospel and Christ and who reigns on this world as king and over all things. And with that in mind, the rich here, we have to understand they're, they're financially wealthy, but they were a small percentage in the first century. Right, throughout these six verses, we see them take advantage of the poor and particularly poor Christians that James is writing to. But it's important for us to understand that James does not condemn the rich in the passage for being rich before their sinful use of the wealth they have. This should be a serious reminder for us because we live in a society that condones, admires, and praises the amassing of wealth. That's what our society says to you. The American dream is to give yourself all the stuff you could possibly want. And let me be very clear. The American dream is a lie from the pit of hell. And it will bind your soul. Church family, we must ask, when do we have enough? When do we have enough that we can live and, and do and share and be the people of God? The rich are to weep, James says, and to wail. Meaning they're to cry out in terror, burst out in tears. Why? Because there's misery coming. There's something awful coming. James makes it clear that there's something terrible coming to these people and they need to respond because there's nothing they can do about it. There's nothing they can do to stop it. But isn't this ironic though? These rich, unrighteous people probably see their wealth as a way to avoid pain, to avoid suffering in this life. They think it's protection from harm and hunger when in fact, no, there's something much worse than that coming for them. Now, church, let me be clear. Jesus issued many, many serious warnings about the threat of riches to the Christian life, and particularly its threat to the growth of maturity as a follower of Christ. We must not shrug off James's warning here to us. We must hear it and receive it. James, he's, he continues his rebuke by explaining the failure of the, of the riches. Look at verse 2. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. The wealth here is any kind of riches, money, possessions, stuff. But James says that they have rotted, right? meaning they have decayed. They're, they're, not, they're not useful anymore. And the things that they've placed stock in will not last. They, they are not going to be there for you when you need them. They're going to go bad. And James is making an important point here that these riches will certainly go bad. They're fleeting, they're transitory, and they are unreliable. James shows that, that with these riches, he, he kind of gives an illustration. He says that they are moth-eaten. Jesus says something similar in the Sermon on the Mount. He says they've lost their value. Moths would, would dig in uh, into the house 
uh, and they would, what would happen is uh, people would store their riches and books and clothes and money in the, in the ground, and the moths would dig in, and they would begin to eat them. And so they're, they're no longer worthy of something to hold on to. You know, books were scrolls, and so if those were something valuable, they would eat through that material. And so these, they've corroded and been moth-eaten. They're worthless. The only reason that these items would have been moth-eaten is because they're in the ground, and the only reason they're in the ground is because they were hoarding them. It was their security blanket. They're not using them. Do you see that it's futile to put your trust in material wealth? It's not going to last. It's not going to last. We may think, well, ours is in a bank account. Ours is uh, in something that's secure. The FDIC uh, backs my money. The only problem is that it only lasts as long as the country survives. Just because our riches are in something else doesn't mean it's going to last. And if wealth passes away, then what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to invest it wisely into the kingdom of God. We must see wealth as a tool to be used for God instead of replacing God. Wealth is a means to an end, but the end matters. Wealth is not the end-all be-all. But wealth can be used for a better purpose because we have to understand that God is the one who has ordained all things and in our lots in life and whatever that may be that we may have much or we may have little and it's not our job to to squander or to complain but here's the deal wherever wherever you are today here's the deal I heard this quote this week and I thought it was superb for where we are money management is heart management money management is heart management well, what, what, what does this mean it displays our disposition and focus how we manage our money says what are the priorities of my heart there is nothing else even your time there's nothing else that will show what you spend is what you value but here's the problem possession does not equal ownership possession does not equal ownership when we think something is ours what does that lead us to it leads us to hoarding right first of all all this stuff is god's stuff the chairs that the pews that we sit on the, what i'm saying on the clothes that you have it's all god's stuff he's the one that made it even though we may have he created it and we just made things out of it right so when we think what this wealth is ours then we begin to hold on and grasp and let me protect it instead of trusting God a lot of times we put our hope in the provision of God instead of the God who provides so how do we how do we think about this well well there's a couple of things one it would be arrogant for us to think we can do this on our own so we, I encourage you, let someone else outside, someone you trust in on your finances. How are you spending your money? How are you being generous? What are the things that you're doing with your money? For some reason, 
when we talk about discipleship in the church, it's like, you know, we talk about some really, really hard stuff, but we keep money to the side. No, church, we must say all of it is Christ and all of it needs to be formed in us. And so, yes, I need other people to help me think through how am I stewarding the stuff that I have been given? Let someone see your budget. Think about the ways you can be generous. Like just thinking about being generous can help change your perspective and then give, be able for you to give things away. Ashley knows this. We set an eating out budget and oftentimes we don't hit that budget number because I like to buy other people's food because for whatever reason I like to love people by just buying people food. But really it's probably because I like people when they buy me food. Um, but I like to buy people's food. Just think though, how can I be generous? What are the things that you can say, I love to just give these things. How can you be generous with that? And you begin to invest it into the things that matter, which are people and not yourself. It matters how we begin to invest this money. It matters how we be begin to give it and how we use it. I'm not going to throw out percentages and I'm not going to throw out those things because at the end of the day, the Lord asks us to be sacrificial and regular. Ask the Lord, trust the Lord. And begin to invest into the kingdom of God. When disciples trust God over money, we're then able to invest it wisely. Because it's not about the money anymore. It's about stewarding what the God of the universe has given to us. So, second implication this morning. Wealth is a witness to our lives, so store heavenly wealth. Look there at verse 3. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. James is again very clear here. Wealth brings no lasting, I would say eternal, benefit to its owners. Instead, it stands as a witness against us. Right? But notice here, look at James's language. He says, gold and silver has corroded but here's the thing gold nor silver rust so what is James doing James is making his point emphatically clear by using hyperbole he's saying that these things are useless and will not save the rich will not save them even though you think that they cannot rust they will not last here's the image of the first century person the first century rich person who is concerned about their present and future in so much with their gold and their silver. And so maybe they store it in their house or they store it in the ground. And they continue to add and add. Again, what are they doing? They're hoarding. And hoarding demonstrates a mixed up priority. And in the first century, hoarding could have deprived other people of things that they needed. If we think about the money that, that it's encapsulated in the U.S. economy, that there, there were small percentages of these kinds of things in the first century. And they've retained so much unused wealth that even the untarnishable has tarnished in God's eyes. And the waste testifies against them. Again, hoarding ha happens when we think that this wealth is ours. It's not anyone else's, it's God's. Uh, maybe you remember if you have older kids and 
you know, Ash and I, with Graham, he's two, and with others, and we, and we watch, and, you know, you, you let them, you know, maybe play with something that's yours, maybe your keys or something like that, and it's time to go, and, you know, you need to have your keys back. So what, when you grab those keys, what does that child say to you? No, mine. I didn't teach them that. No one had to teach them that, did they? They just know it. No, this is mine. Right, and for a missional community, when, when our MC comes over on Wednesdays, me and Graham have a conversation. Hey, buddy, these toys that God has given you, they've been given to you so that you are able to enjoy them and then also let other people enjoy them. And so we have other kids that come over really working on Graham, being able to say, look, hey, this is not mine. This is God's, and I get to, I get to play with you and these toys. That's hard, Right? Here's the deal. Unused wealth does the kingdom of God no good. It does it no good. And by the way, it condemns those who refuse to use it for God and instead want to use it on themselves. What's the opposite of hoarding? Giving. Giving. And really, first fruits giving. And it's the pattern that we see throughout the Bible. There's going to be a screen, uh, some verses pop up. Here's what we see in Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. This is what God has said to His people. This is what, this is what He says to Israel before they enter in the promised land in Leviticus 23. When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. Moses talked about the first, this first fruits giving 13 times in the first five books of the Bible. 13 times. This first fruits, this word, it means promise to come. Israel saw their first fruits giving as an investment into their future. Do you see being generous with your stuff as an investment into your future? One that's eternal. Not one that's going to waste away. Do you see your giving as an investment into the kingdom of God? Now look at what James says. He says that the corrosion will be a witness against you. Right, think about a witness in a courtroom. Their wealth will actually testify against them. Imagine just for a moment, the rich on trial, the prosecutor... He says, I have, I have evidence, and he, and he gets a truckload of gold and silver, and he places a little bit up on that stand. Something's wrong. Something's, it, looks, it looks off. It's discolored and chipped and may even be rusted. Their riches have wasted away and now stand on trial against them. This is ironic because normally the powerful, rich person in the courtroom would have had the money to remove the problem for them. But no, it's going to be that money that testifies against them that they don't have the influence anymore. I love this quote. God has not appointed gold for rust nor garments for moths, but on the contrary, He has designed them as aids and helps to human life. Riches are useless unless we use them the way God intended us to use them. Unless we use them for the good of our neighbor. We, we don't need to store and hoard and hold on to 
Because there are people who need things. Think of the parable of the ten talents. The master gives a certain number of talents to each uh, individual, and we know that you know the one doubled, and you know the other, you know the one with uh, three came back, you know had a, had a, a harvest as well. But what the what the servant with the one do? He, he he hid it and buried it in the ground. But is the is the master happy with that servant? No, he's not, because he held on to it. And did nothing with it. James seems to be saying that these rich folks have gained earthly treasure like silver and gold at the expense of heavenly treasure. Right? It's going to testify against them. And ultimately, this shows where their heart is. And Jesus tells us where our treasures are, there our heart will also be. Where is our treasure? Are we laying up? treasure here that we might live in comfort and planning in a long life or do we focus on amassing a treasure in heaven with God being grateful for the blessings that he has given us here and now how do we store heavenly treasure how do we store heavenly treasure by by growing in faith as a disciple trusting God and beginning to see that this world is how God made it, and how we are able to use the, the gifts and abilities that we have, but also the resources that we have to, for the spread of the kingdom of God. That we would maybe take a job that doesn't make a whole lot of sense on paper, but it's one to give our lives away for the sake of others. Or maybe to move across the, the world to proclaim the gospel to people. Or maybe it's to move into Washington, D.C., like we saw this, this couple do, to plant a church and to Proclaim Jesus. It's not that you don't that you put away worldly things in the sense that we put away wealth. That's not what that means. Storing up treasures in heaven is rightly using all of these things for the kingdom of God. Now let me encourage you though. James is he's not condemning savings or the investment of money. Right? Remember the, the parable of the ten talents. They invested that money and got a return for it. He's not saying get rid of your 401k or Roth IRAs because that's not what he's saying. I even have those. James is challenging the view that who, those who believe that this is their security blanket or their functional savior. When James connects wealth to the last days, he wants to provide the, a right perspective for us, an eternal one. The last days is a time between Christ's ascension and Christ's return. Right? And we are living in the middle of those days. We're waiting for Christ to come. And our view of eternity will shape how we view the rest of this life. The hope that we have is a future hope for a present reality. It's not just that we say nothing matters and we live like we want to. It's also not like, it's not to say, well, only eternity matters, so I, it doesn't matter what I do. No, those are the two opposite things. Our hope for eternity changes how we live today. It changes what we do and how we steward our money. Disciples store heavenly treasure because it demonstrates an eternal perspective and a hope in who God is. It just displays a trust in God. 
that is inherent in everything that they do. Implication number three. Wealth is under God's judgment, so live accordingly. Wealth is under God's judgment, so live accordingly. Look there at verse four. What we see here is these verses provide two important ideas for us, not just for the rich, but for even Christians. It's the Christians that have been extorted, defrauded, and cheated. It's the rich that have, have done that to their workers. But these verses also provide comfort for the suffering of the workers because God indeed hears and sees them and cares about them and their situation. See there, verse 4. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who, mow, who mowed your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. James is clear here. The reason for misery is coming because the rich have mistreated. They've abused their workers and the people that are in their fields. They've cheated them. This word withheld means to defraud. Or to act like nothing has happened. Wait a second, you work for me today? Saying that these workers are not worth the money. Now, now remember, uh, James is a Jewish pastor, right? To the first Christians who were mostly Jewish. And the Old Testament has informed much of what James has written here. Leviticus 19, which is the love your neighbor chapter in Leviticus. It's referenced or hinted at multiple times here in James. And Leviticus 19.13 says this. It may be at the forefront of James' mind. Do not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages due a hired worker must not remain with you until morning. It's because of this action that the Lord hears the cry of the workers. Much like the blood of Abel, who was spilled by his brother. Abel's blood cried out to the Lord. When God comes to Cain, he says, Where's your brother? His blood cries out to me. In the same way, James says that this money cries out to God. It cries out for God to deliver them and for justice to be done. It's even maybe this image of the money that was held back and it's actually in the pockets of the, the rich and it's the money in the pockets that's calling out to the Lord. You think you've hidden it but it is not hidden and the Lord sees. The Lord sees what's happened. And notice how James describes our God. He describes Him as the Lord of armies or the Lord of hosts. It's the image of God leading His mighty army to the defense of His people. James is providing comfort to his Christian readers by insisting that God does see and He does hear and He knows their suffering and He will bring about justice for them. Don't usurp God's unique role in exacting justice for yourself or others. God is the one who stands as the ultimate judge. And so we may, may we not go for vengeance if we're wronged, and we not go for, to, to go after things that when we are wronged, it's really easy to, right? We just want that person to know that they've hurt us. We just want them to know that you've done something, you've wronged me. Well, it's not wrong for me to tell them. What's your disposition for that? 
Is it to tell them just, just so they can know? Or is it deeper than that? Why, why is this? Do you trust God that He will set all things right one day? When James affirms that the wrongdoing of the rich has become known to God, he makes clear that this God is holy and powerful and determined to judge those who infringe on His commandments. Our God stands and rules and reigns and we can trust Him. The Bible also speaks about a God who cares for the poor. Go read the prophets. It's His people, even the, the shepherds in Ezekiel, that, that they've defrauded, they've, they've not cared for the sheep. And God says, I'm coming for you because you have done this to my people. God cares for the poor. But it, isn't this good news for us? Were we not poor without God? Spiritually, we're not bankrupt without Him. God does not show favoritism to the rich. He loves and cares for all those who will submit their lives to Him. Look at verse 5 as James continues. You've lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. James is condemning the rich, not for being rich, but how they've amassed and misused their wealth and treated others. James says they have lived in luxury and self-indulgence. Notice where their focus is. Where is their luxury at? It's on the earth. They're not concerned with heavenly things. This mindset contrasts with the, those who store up heavenly treasure. James is saying that they've experienced their own heaven, their own heaven on earth. This reminds me of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I the rich man was dressed in purple and fine clothes, and Lazarus was a beggar with sores and light at the gate, and dogs would lick, lick his wounds, and he just wanted crumbs off of this rich man's tables. But they both died. Lazarus is taken up to heaven. The rich man goes to torment. And so the rich man, he sees Lazarus, and he asks, can you just, just even Lazarus's sore finger Dip it in water and give me some, please. But, but they can't. There's a barrier between them. The rich man got what he wanted in this life. More than he could have ever needed. Lazarus, on the other hand, received all that he needed when he died. The resurrection reverses our roles. Got to ask a hard question. How many of us live closer to verse 5 than we really want to admit? I have to be honest. Ash and I, we, we talked lots of times this week about, about the inventory of our own home, our budget, planning. If you find yourself in a position of plenty, look to give it away for the good of other people. Lest we dare to weaken the force of this warning to us. Why? Because we know that one day Christ will return and He will it will return joyfully. He will come for us. But look how James describes that day. A day of slaughter. When Jesus comes back, He's also going to judge the world. This is a vivid judgment. And by the way, Christ can return at any time. Judgment of the world, though, should give us confidence. For those who have trusted Christ don't have to worry about that day of judgment because we 
have been placed under Christ. And when we are judged, it is not judged based on our actions, it's based on Christ and Him alone. We do not have to worry about that. We get to trust God. Verse 6, you've condemned, you've murdered the righteous who does not resist you. The self-focused and luxurious living with wealth, it's terrible, right? But it gets worse. Not only does wealth tempt us to pile on and hoard, but it also leads to murder. How is that even possible? What is James saying? The rich had condemned the workers to death because they had taken away their pay. They had taken away their means to live. In the first century, you were paid every day. You worked. At the end of the day, you get your money, and then you're able to go and buy the food that you need, which is most time the food you needed for the next day, for that night and you know, breakfast and lunch. They, they didn't get to go two weeks and get a paycheck or even a week. So to, to deprive a worker of a day's wage, you're in, in essence condemning them to death because they can't eat. It would be like us having our bank accounts cut off, frozen. And unless you have a bunch of money stored under your mattress, that's not going to go too well for you, is it? This is what happens to these people. This is what James is saying. If we view money wrongly and our stuff wrongly, then we begin to hoard it. And then we begin to actually not pay the people that have actually served us. And what happens is when we hold that back from them, we actually take away their means to live. May we not cut off the bank accounts of others, but may we give what they deserve. May we not be like the rich who would, who would hoard and keep away, but may we give freely because we understand it's not our stuff, it's God's stuff. In all of this, how should we think? How should we consider these things today? I have one more thought for us this morning. In Christ, we have the greatest treasure and a lasting inheritance. In Christ, we have a, the greatest treasure and a lasting inheritance. Let me read to, to you 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's the inheritance that we hold on to. Not the money in our bank accounts, our Roth IRAs, the stock markets, or even the money in our mattresses under our beds. We have an undefiled, unperishing inheritance in Christ. And that's what we look through. That's what we look to. It's through the gospel that in the life, the perfect life of our Lord Jesus, that he showed us what it looked like to live, to be fully human. But he gave his life. He died on the cross for us in your place, in my place. So that we could be reconciled to God. And when he was raised and was resurrected as the Christ. He stands now in victory over sin and death. And now because of that he offers us this inheritance. He offers us the opportunity to hold something. Not here. 
but in heaven. We have access to something that will not rust and will not decay. And something that will never run out. What I mean by that is you can hold on to it and you can share it. And it will never run out. God wants everyone on this planet to know that Jesus loves them. And apart from Him, they are separated from God. But it's so good and will never rust and never decay decay that it can be given to anyone. There's that plenty of it. This inheritance is sure so we can trust God in any circumstances. Whether we have plenty or we don't have enough. We can trust God. If you do not know Christ today, I do not want you to leave the room without, without at least acknowledging that fact. Because if you don't have Christ, you are eternally separated from God. And Jesus is offering in Himself, He's offering a way for you to be made righteous, to be made holy, to be forgiven, to stand as a son or daughter in the kingdom of God. Don't leave today. All you have to do is you have to say, I understand that Jesus is Lord and I submit my life to Him in every way. Don't leave today. My prayer is for us is that we see God is in control and that we trust Him in the midst of everything, including our money. And when we trust Him, we are able to live in this life the way He's called us to and avoid temptations that wealth provides. And then we can use whatever God has given us, whatever that amount is, for His glory and for the good of our neighbors. Will you pray with me? God, I ask you today, would we trust you over all things? Even maybe one of the hardest things. Money. Would we trust that whatever our lot in life, you're in control Whatever's going on, you're in control. That you are holy and powerful. And not only can we trust you, we can rest in you because of Christ and His gospel. I ask you, would you take, if if there's security in us because of other things, would you begin to scrape it away? Would you begin to peel it away? Would you begin to remove the pipes of our hearts? so that we trust you over all things and we can use whatever resources, whatever things, whatever lot in life that we have for the good of the kingdom and the good of others. May our church be characterized of people who are willing to give away for the good of their neighbor. We'll be a church that uses these resources to spread the gospel over the entire world. Maybe as we continue to fund and send monies to, for these gospel works, may we, may we even give more. May we as a church budget more to give away for the sake of the gospel. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.